Hey everyone, today's guest is Danielle Bernstein, the founder of We Were What and New York Times bestselling author of This Is Not a Fashion Story. She's an incredible entrepreneur, and in this episode, we dive into some of the most poignant chapters of her book. She calls them lessons, which I love, and also how you can use your platform for good and influence more things than just fashion. We go way back at least 10 years. Danielle was an intern of mine back when I was first starting my company, so it was fun to sort of rehash some of those. So take a listen. So Danielle Bernstein is the founder of We Were What, Mo Assist, New York Times bestselling author of This Is Not a Fashion Story, and also recently launched Global Creators Community. So I'm so thrilled we get to talk about your book today, and um, yeah. and and former intern of Rebecca Minkoff, I'm proud to say. True. <laughs> very, very true. And I've known er- each other for so long. So long. Okay. So I would love to start with I've I've read the book, but you know, many of our listeners might not have. So what inspired you to sit down and write a book? I actually started writing this book five years ago as a very different book after a horrible breakup when I had what I like to refer to as my Samantha Summer. And I started writing and then realized very quickly that this was not the book that I wanted to put out into the world. And so I put it on hold. And then finally, about a year and change ago, felt like I had enough to share and I was ready. And I really wanted to tell my story my way because I've been doing this for 10 years and people have a lot of preconceived notions about me and judgments about me and where I've come from and how I got to where I am. And I really just wanted to be able to tell my story my way. So did you feel like, obviously you've had a ton of success under your belt. So when you went to write the book, did you feel like it was something that just poured forth or was the book truly a labor of love where it was as challenging as like starting, you know, the beginnings of starting a new business? Well, I was telling the story of my life. So I knew everything that I wanted to say. Uh, I just had to figure out how to put it into 200 something pages. So I definitely wasn't, it didn't feel like starting a new business. It felt more like one huge therapy session. I love that. It's so (laughs) cathartic. I'm writing my book now and it's like, oh, to relive the past and like share these stories is so, is so fun. Totally. I mean, it forces you to face like all of these things that happened in your past. And then also to think about how do you want the world to see you? Because that's what you're putting out there. Totally. You're, you're, you're actually putting forth the narrative that people need to know about versus what everyone, the rumor mill talks mm-hmm. about. So I'd love to touch on one of the chapters, which is, um, at least for me resonated a lot was, you know, that, it, and maybe you had other challenges within your life, but that moment that you sat there, you walked into your house, your parents were on separate sides of the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, okay, we're not going to make it. And how that changed. Yeah. I mean, my parents getting divorced so much of who I am, but more so that I was forced to grow up at a really young age. And I always say that I was just old enough to understand it, but just young enough to be completely affected by it. So I was kind of at this like middle age. I think I was like 12 or 13. So I kind of like could get it, but then it also really shaped me. Yeah. And do you think that it's even still today changes like how you approach work or relationships or friendships? A hundred percent. Yeah. So is there something that you took away with it from that experience that you felt like 
in, in a way, turning something that was so uh, negatively affecting into a positive with, you know, maybe a, a superpower that sort of emerged from that experience? I think my strength emerged from it and my hard shell, which is a good thing and a bad thing, depending on who you're talking to. And I think that uh, it definitely shaped a lot of who I am for, for good and for bad. I mean, how could it not? No, definitely. Definitely not. I remember when I thought my parents weren't going to make it and I was, I was freaking out because my mom, I don't know how I even learned it, but like my mom, my dad had maybe been a little bit inappropriate with someone else. And my mom found out and she had her own guilty situation on the other side. So neither one was innocent and it came to a head and it was like, oh, so your parents still together. They're still together. Uh, they oh, wow. worked, they worked through it. She punched the other woman in the face. So there you go. <gasps> Stop. <laughs> so have like, you ever shared that? <laughs> I've never shared that publicly. So here we go. Oh um, my God. And that has to be in the book, that full story, right? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. So, but I was like, you know what? Go mom. You punched that lady in the face for, you know, dealing with a married man. Yeah. Um, and also hope she punched her dad in the face too. <laughs> she did. Don't worry. I'm he, sure she did. He got his comeuppance. So I'd love to have you walk me through. And, and I love what you said about first moving to the city and it wasn't what you expected because I remember my moment at 18 moving and I was like, oh, it's kind of smells. There's a lot of homeless people. Where's the, <laughs> where's the glamour that I thought I was moving to? Yeah. Um, but what propelled you? to move to the city. And I know you talk about it in the book, but if you wanted to share from that chapter. I mean, like every other Long Island girl, I grew up watching sex, just like dreaming about my life in Manhattan. And I think that at a young age, I was exposed to the city more so than some of my friends on Long Island. And I would take the train, the Long Island Railroad in as much as possible, even after school some days, just to walk around and explore it. And so I, I always knew what was there and I just knew I needed to be there and be a part of it. And so aside from your first, was I your first internship? I don't remember. No, I, uh, when I was in high school, I interned at G3, um, which was, the, it's a story in the book of how I met my first boyfriend. And uh, that was when I was taking the train after school hours into the city to intern for Andrew Mark. And um, I forgot all the other brands that they know, but I listed them in the book. At any of those moments, did you feel like I want to have my own brand someday? Or were you focused at the time on, you know, I want to start diving into this world of being a creator and, you know, your Um, love of fashion? Neither. I honestly had no clue what I wanted to do in fashion. I just knew that I wanted to be in the city and be part of this world somehow. And so interning was like the best way to figure out what exactly my role in this industry would be. And I actually kind of wanted to be an event planner. So I loved fashion, but I didn't know if I wanted a career in fashion, but I thought interning would at least show me one way or the other. And that's sort of how I figured it out. Do you feel like any part of you still wants to do event planning? <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I love throwing a good dinner party. But I was going to no. say. <laughs> and there's no I, now anyway. No, I know. I, I always joke that I want to have like a, a small bed and breakfast. And I'm like, actually, I, I think that that sounds sexy until like your customer is like, my toilet's clogged. And then you're like, actually, yeah. no. <laughs> my own Airbnb. I loved 
dipping my toes into so many different things now, including event planning in some capacity, but I'm pretty happy in my current career. (laughs) So let's talk about when you started um, We Were What. I remember, you know, when we started working with influencers, literally every single major head of a wholesale, you know, the Saks, Nordstrom's, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus of the world were like, do not work with these people. They're D-list celebrities. We don't know if we oh. can carry your bags. <laughs> if if you work with these people, we had magazine editors threatened. I mean, we were getting threatened on all sides. And I remember we were pretty early on to this. You were so did you, early. Did you feel that towards you in the beginning? And how did you deal with people taking it seriously? Because it was a new medium. No one knew what it was. No one knew it was going to be like what it is today. A hundred percent. And there's even some brands now that are not, haven't hopped on the influencer train and it's, it's fine. It's just not smart. I mean, like influencers are the most modern form of advertising and we help reach an audience. That's such a specific demographic of consumers and we help sell shit. Like that's just what we do. And obviously there was a lot of people that were upset by that in the beginning because they didn't, you know, they were hesitant for change. They didn't want something new that was disruptive. Um, And that's exactly what you've always done as a brand and a businesswoman. And we've always done, we've always sort of disrupted uh, the way things were done. And I think that that's what's made us both really successful. Totally. And I think that, you know, you could have stopped where you stopped. You could have been, you know, I'm an influencer. I have my blog. And I feel like every time I look, you are launching something new, which is incredible. So I would love to dive into your first foray outside of We Were What Mm -hmm. and what inspired that, how that went down. And then you're like, okay, not done there. Going to launch Moasis, not done there. Swim, you know, everything, you know, global creators, community, like everything you're launching, like literally everything. I I have so many launches every single week. I like don't know what to do anymore. (laughs) It's really crazy. I mean, I, I love working and I love creating things. So it's like, it all comes really natural to me, but at the same time, trial and error. Like I tried to do a shoe brand. I failed. Then I was like, okay, let me try swim. And then I really succeeded. So then I kept going there. And then I, I just kept learning a bunch of lessons along the way, whether it was who to trust with my business partners, how to have airtight contracts with licensing deals. Like, I just didn't know what I was doing. I've grown up with my career. So I've learned so much through all of my experiences until I finally have like figured it out. And so I take my expertise and I apply them everywhere that I can, whether it's through a tech company like Mo Assist or you know, through sharing how I made it here through my book. It's just really, it's all about like sharing. So I just keep sharing, 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 whether that's through creating new businesses or sharing on my platforms um, and with my followers or you name it. So how do you, how do you get through your day with so many projects? We, we really try and focus each day depending on what's launching, what's coming up. I have an incredible team that really keeps me on track. Uh, I have both uh, Mo and uh, Kim and Claudia are here now and Mo is on, is virtually with us and we every day are on zoom and we have a strict schedule that I sometimes go against because I get caught up doing something else, but we really have things scheduled every hour on the hour and try and get done as much as possible. But, you know, I, I never feel like there's enough hours in the day. No, I, I feel like you could, I could, I could use another 12. 
I could use another 24. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really need so many. <laughs> so I want to touch on um, lesson 21. And I like that you actually have the chapters as lessons versus chapters. Cause I think that, mm-hmm. you know, for those reading your book, these are definite lessons that you can learn and apply. And it's not just entertainment, <clears throat> but it's actually like, Oh shit, this actually helps my business. So you say that execution is everything. Yep. And you know, there is a sentiment I feel from the youth that I meet that there's going to be a shortcut that you can Uber, you can get your goods on Amazon, but success and execution cannot be shortcutted. So will you talk to me about a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, everything takes hard work, like millennials and Gen Z, every, we have everything at our fingertips. So we have this like immediate gratification always, and life just doesn't work that way. And so you have to put in the hard work and I put in the hard work throughout my entire life and my career, people think that this was like an overnight thing. Like this has been 10 years in the making. So I think it's important when you read my book, you can see all of the different steps and I had to take to get to where I am and that it wasn't overnight. And I think that the hard work is something that has kind of gone with the new generations. It feels like. So what do you tell people to sort of rewire their brains or even their habits. That's like, no, building a career you want or having a company and then four other companies actually takes a lot of hard work. Like, I think that this whole pandemic has been really humbling for a lot of people because it's sort of setting us back. Um, Obviously not in a good way, but it will force everyone to really have to work a lot harder than they were ever used to doing. And I think that in that sense that it'll be helpful, but what I tell people is that like bitch work is key. You got to start at the bottom to, to know and to appreciate what it takes to get to the top. It really is true. Like there's really no way around it. And I've done everything from steaming and, and folding clothes in a, in a closet at a fashion magazine to getting coffee runs for my boss. All of it. Yep. I'll never forget the first, when I arrived on my fashion job, the first day was like organize a supply closet. And I almost want to tell every one of my interns to do that when they start. Cause I was like, if you can approach that and it's a total shit show and a mess, cause no one makes a nice supply closet. Yep. But I feel like it was like, okay, I'm going to attack this and do a really good job. And it's just a small thing, but it, it just shows like your attention to detail, your ability to organize. And like people need to like start, start yeah. somewhere and show that they can work hard. Exactly. I agree. So you have a lot of great partners that have helped you sort of build your next uh, layer of your companies. You have Mo, who, you know, started out as your assistant and now runs Mo Assist with you, right? Yep. Um, You have Sarah, Mm -hmm. who's CEO of Mo Assist, and I'm sure you have lots Mm -hmm. of other partners. So how do you find these great partners and or what do you look for to avoid disaster? Uh, I think that, and that's totally a chapter in my book. (laughs) You're like, it's like you're plugging the chapters. I I am. I am. I've got them open. I've got them tabbed like my book report here. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Um, You know, finding a business partner, I, I say in my book, vet your business partners like your romantic ones. And what I mean by that is everything from do we have the same values and morals and business ethics and if something goes wrong, are we going to handle it in a way that's going to be what's best for the business and our relationship? And that really just takes getting to know someone. And so I guess the most important thing would be don't just blindly enter into business with anyone. 
you really have to vet your business partners and make sure that they're going to have your best interest in mind as well, not just their own, because I've obviously been on the other side of that and have had a business partner that was not trustworthy and that fucked me over and stole money from me. So, you know, if you don't have airtight contracts and people you trust, you can't protect yourself against any of that. Totally. I feel like like being fucked over is sometimes the best thing that can happen because you learn so much out of that. And we've had it happen you learn so much, more yeah. times than I care to admit. But every mm-hmm. time we're like, oh, OK, that's how not to do this. That doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, they're all learning experiences. And um, it's important to at least get the, get something out of it when something bad happens that you can take for your next relationship or your next partnership. Totally. So I, I want to ask you three final questions, but before I do that, um, is there anything that, you know, someone who's thinking about reading the book should know or any teasers you want to give them so that they're like, Oh shit, I got to go buy the book now. Yeah. It's just a really fun, quick, easy read. And a lot of people have been really inspired by it. And so I hope that people can not only get to know me better, but also, uh, get inspired by it to go out and really pursue maybe something that they weren't sure about taking action on yet. And maybe this will be just the push that they needed. I love that. So one of the, one of the last chapters that you wrote about was being more than an influencer, um, which I think you've shown that especially what's happened with the pandemic, but I think how you built your brand and so many people get this wrong. And I, I, I'm in awe of you because I watched you launch Macy's and it was all sizes and all shapes and colors. And then, you know, the, the pandemic hit and then, you know, the tragedy with George Floyd hit and every step of the way you've been using your platform for change. You've been supporting women of color and black women. And I feel that most people don't think that way, sadly. So how, you know, you obviously wrote about be more than just an influencer before all this happened, but how do you, how do you approach what you do with so much humanity and give back and just awareness of doing something, things that are right. I think that when this all started, I was like, this is what I've been building my platform for. Like I have two point, almost 2.5 million followers. If I can influence 1% of those people, I can really make a big difference here. And so whether it was supporting small businesses or raising awareness for black women and amplifying their voices, I, I, I had the uncomfortable conversations. I'm still having the uncomfortable conversations. I'm teaching myself so that I can teach my audience. And I just feel like it's almost like my responsibility with like, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's not like I have great power, but I do have a really large audience and I have a lot of young girls that look up to me. And so that there comes a lot of responsibility with that. And I, and I, it's mind boggling to me how some influencers haven't taken this opportunity to really do some good and so and really take action and really make a difference and and show that influencers can influence in this way as well not just with buying choices and so it's been some of the most fulfilling work i've ever done and i and i feel like the pandemic has just given me a new purpose and it's ever changing and I'm still growing and learning and making mistakes and admitting to them right away and taking action to make changes. And I think that that's really important too. I'm not just talking it. I'm also walking it. So 
uh, I hope I'm glad that you can see that. I, I hope that people can see that going forward. And, you know, things like hiring somebody as a consultant for diversity and culture so that I have an accountability person on my team now so that we do stay on top of this because, you know, the news cycle will end and people will start slowly stop talking about certain issues. But the whole point of this is to really keep it going. Totally. Okay. So I asked this question to everybody on my podcast. Um, it's my final two okay. questions. You can share something funny, something embarrassing, something weird or random. But I, the first one is what is something we'd be surprised to know about you? You guys know everything about me. (laughs) I don't know. What would they be surprised to know about me? I think that like I'm really sensitive because I really don't show it, but I'm pretty sensitive. Oh, I am surprised to know that about you. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So when that happens, do you kind of go quiet and keep it inside? Or are you like, hey, this really hurt my feelings. We need to talk about it. Oh, I, I like to talk about it. I like to talk about everything. Put it out there in the open. I mean, that's why I have a therapist slash life coach. So that's, we get to talk about all those. Oh, good. Okay. Awesome. And then the last question would be, what is either a piece of advice you have learned the hard way that you would like to parlay into my listeners or someone gave you some great advice that you think is worth sharing? I think that my life motto, which is a quote I heard DVF say maybe like 10 years ago, um, that the most important relationship is the one with yourself. And it's just really speaks to doing the work with yourself because I was really unhappy with myself five years ago when I started writing the very different book. And then I ended up starting to work with a life coach shortly after that and really just kept working on becoming a better version of myself. And I And I truly think that until you're happy with yourself, you can't be happy with other people. And so the self-love is just so important and you should really give it attention even through all of this. I so agree with that on so many levels, even down to when I really took action on our company culture, you could Mm -hmm. see the people that were just always going to be miserable. And I was like, nothing I do is good enough. And I was like, wait, they're miserable people. Like they're not going to ever be happy with anything being done for them unless they're happy with themselves. So yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Awesome. So where can people buy, listen, download, read your book and, or follow you, et cetera. So obviously at we were what shop, we were what Danielle Bernstein is my line at Macy's. And then this is not a fashion story is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and lots of independent bookstores. So you should definitely check them out and support them. And we gave what is my new sort of charitable arm of we were what. And Moasis is my tech <laughs> platform. And am I missing Yes, anything? your new, your recent launch. The GCC yes. is part of Moasis, the global creators community, which we have to have a separate discussion about because I want to do something with Female Founders Collective <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, so we okay. will talk. <laughs> all I mean, places. when I asked, I was testing you. I was like, she can remember all her platforms, but you did great. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. I remember them all. Yes. They're all in my Instagram bio. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. And if you're listening, go buy her book. It is a great read. I read it on my anniversary, my little hot- my little oh. hotel reading situation where I got to be away from the kids. So it was great. Love yeah. that. And I love you. Thank you for yeah, having me. Yeah, of course. Me. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. bye.